Good morning. If you have a Bible, open it to Joshua chapter 10. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll, we'll get you one. Last week we talked about the covenant that we have with God when we belong to God. And how he desires us to keep our covenant with other people, our oaths, the, the promises that we make. But that ultimately all those promises come under our promise to him and surrendering ourselves to him. And so with that, we move into chapter 10. And we have to remember that the book of Joshua is, is a book that's really dealing with battles. It's dealing with warfare. It's dealing with the taking over this land and establishing a nation in this region. Joshua is a general. He was Moses' general. Now he's in charge of the nation and he's moving forward. And there's some powerful things that happen in this chapter. And I was wondering what to, to talk about it as I was going through. I mean, there's a place in this chapter where Joshua asks of God to stop the sun so that the battle can continue. And the sun stops. And I know some of you are saying, the sun doesn't move, so the sun can't stop. Well, the sun can't rise either, but it did this morning, okay? I mean, it's, it's language. It's going to set tonight, even though it doesn't move, okay? But what are you going to say? The earth was rotating and the sun started to disappear. You know, Joshua called it as the general saw it. And, and there's some real interesting things about that, that there are actually other writings in China that said they had an extra long night. Interesting, because over there, it wouldn't be daylight. It would be... Anyway, I'm not going to talk about that. It's real interesting, and if you want to hear some of the stuff that takes place with that, you have to come Thursday, because that's what we're going to talk about. But I just thought, well, that's interesting stuff, but how is that going to connect to us? And so what I want to do is read verses 1 through 8 and talk about those verses and how I felt that moved just to deal with these things. Verse 1, it says, Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city. Like one of the royal cities, it was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Hey, I made it. Come up. And help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jeremuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal 
with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. It starts off with the name of one of the kings. The king's name is Adonai Zedek, and his name means my Lord is righteous. And it was his title. The king had a position of, in a sense, deity among the people. And it's very actually close to the name Melchizedek, which we see in Genesis, the, the priest of God that comes from Jerusalem, but hundreds of years prior. But we see now this king has this title of I am righteous or your God, your righteousness. And it just, it struck me that as they come to the awareness that this city, Gibeon, has now made an alliance with Israel, which means governed by God, which has made an alliance with God, that they decided to battle. You see, there were a few options. If Gibeon made a treaty with Israel, maybe we can make a treaty too. But you see, when you're a king who thinks you're a god, it's a hard thing to give up. It's good to be king if you can get the job. And who wants to let something like that go? Who wants to let their status go? And and we need to understand that as the Lord told to the nation of Israel, you're not to worship any other God, for I am a jealous God. I'm jealous for you. He told them in Exodus as he gave them the Ten Commandments. And Jesus gave us the command or the instruction that You cannot serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other. You will cling to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money or the things that are self-serving, that are gratifying just you. And you see, whenever we are confronted with God, we are confronted with a choice that we need to make if we are going to allow him to indeed be God. Because the title God isn't just a name. He doesn't have a a badge on his chest, you know, hi, God, you can see the name tag. The idea of God means I know more than you. I am more powerful than you. My ways are right. I am it. Get it? And so when you come to God, it's like, what do you say? What what is your response? You either acknowledge that he is God or you resist. And you say, I don't want you as my God. And the choice is we'll find another God, and usually that choice is we exalt ourselves as God. Now, it's not uncommon when someone is confronted with God to do things that might not make sense, but I think we can all relate to it. You see, the king knew what Israel had done. 
That's why he was afraid. He knew what he had done to Ai. They knew what they had done previously to Jericho and the miraculous victory that they had. Everyone knew that they had crossed over the Jordan miraculously. They'd heard about their triumphs on the other side of the Jordan. There was a knowledge that God was with them, that incredible things were happening, but they still resisted. And we see this resistance take place throughout Scripture. We see a lot of times, we see Adam and Eve, when God came to them, they hid. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Jonah and the rich young ruler turned away, and Cain and the Pharisees took offense. And usually, those responses are similar to what we have. When we are confronted with God, what are we going to do? If we do not want to bow our knee, if we do not want to surrender, if we do not want to surrender to God, we will do usually one of these things. And I kind of wanted to look at these things and talk about them briefly. The first one is Adam and Eve. They hid. You guys ever do something wrong and try to get out of it by hiding? When you're a kid playing baseball and you break the neighbor's window, what do you do? You're like roaches. Just disappear. You go running every which way. Why? Because you did something wrong. I I remember I was with some friends. This was a long time ago when I was younger and more stupid. I was hanging out with a group of friends, and this car drove by, and I forget which one of my friends threw an egg at this car that was driving by. And there was about four of us, and we didn't drive yet. That's why we were walking. And as we were walking, all of a sudden, one of my friends, unbeknownst to all of us, throws his car, hits the car. The car stops. And out of the car came 20, maybe not, but it seemed like it at the time, huge guys. They must have all been linebackers for USC or something. It just seemed like they all got out of it. And I remember all of our faces stopped and went, oh, you know, it's like, oh, we're dead. And and we did. We all took off. I never knew I could run so fast. I should have <laughs> I should have went out for sports after that because I I booked it. I went through this person's house, their backyard, over this fence that I don't know how tall it was, but it wasn't tall to me. And then I was hiding in these bushes on the side of the yard. And the car was like circling the neighborhood looking for all of us, right? And it's like, oh, no, I don't want to get caught. And I remember seeing one of my other friends hiding around some bushes. The car stopped and they saw him. And he got up, ah, and he went running off another way. And I was like, good, they're going to catch him, you know. I'm just telling you what happened. But you see, there is a reaction to us when we're confronted to run, to hide. And it's not uncommon for us when God confronts us and says, you need to acknowledge who I am. We hide. We turn away. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verses 14, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart 
has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Sometimes we just don't want to see. We just want to hide. It's like the child who gets afraid and then just goes under the covers. There's that magical barrier of the blankets. They can't get me now. I'm under the blankets. And we do that with God where we hide from him. We turn away from him because we don't want to confront who he is and what he would ask of our lives. And so we hide. Second thing that we do many times is like Pharaoh, we harden our hearts. I don't care. If God is there, then why is this happening to me? I don't care about God. I don't believe in God. And we harden that which would be towards God. It's said that Moses hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses or Aaron. I'm just not going to listen. And you see, what happens is we are so consumed with us, with my situation, with the way things are with me, that if God doesn't deal with things the way I want, I won't deal with him at all. And that's what happened with Pharaoh. The Lord says, let the people go. He goes, no, I don't want to. And he was firm in his position, and it says that he hardened his heart, and then it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In other words, he took his position, and God said, I'll use your position to strengthen my purpose. And when we harden our hearts towards God, we find ourselves confronted with him, resisting him, and we find ourselves in a bad position. The writer of Hebrews says, So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. If you're confronted with God and he says, you need to recognize who I am. You need to acknowledge me in your life as above having control, having a say-so in your life. You could be like the king. Adonai says, I'm not going to bow. Well, let's make an alliance. We're going to go against. You see, he hardened his heart to the idea of we can make an alliance like Gibeon did. Instead, he made another alliance that says, no, I'm not going to do it. And how many people have we seen when they're confronted with the truth of what's going on in their lives, the need to change? You need to stop this. This, this is destroying you. Can you see what it's doing to your life? And they can see it, and it's like eating them alive. But they say, I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to bow my knee. And they harden their hearts. And it's another position that we can take when we're confronted with God. Another thing that we can do is we can run away like Jonah and the rich young ruler. And this one, I think, is real common because it's easy 
to ignore something and just do something else. God appears to you, reveals himself to you through the scripture, through a friend saying, God wants your life. He, he wants to change your life. He wants to work in your life. And, and you say, oh, that's nice. Boom, I'm going to go do what I've done. I mean, I love the book of Joshua. The Lord came to Joshua and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And then it says, and then jo Jonah, excuse me, Jonah got on a boat and went to Tarsus. What happened between that, you know, Hey, go to here. No, I think I'll go here. Change of scenery. I, I'm just going to do something else. I'm going to turn away from it. I don't want to do that, so I'm going to occupy myself with something else and do something else. And when we're confronted with God, we turn away and we run away. It's another way of ignoring God. When I'm training dogs, as you're asking a dog to do something in obedience, a dog will try and ignore you. And they try to ignore you one of three ways. One is they'll walk behind you. If you're working with them, training them, he'll like, I think I'll go behind you. You know, they just kind of... The other thing they'll do is they'll turn their back all the way towards you. Huh? You talking to me? Or they'll come up right at your feet, right against you. And it's almost like they're coming up to you and they're going, you must be talking to someone out there because you and me are like this. <laughs> and all three ways are turning away from what you're asking them to do. I'm asking you to go down. Oh, you must be talking to someone else. And they turn away. They move away so that they don't have to listen. Turn to Mark chapter 10. There's a story that you're familiar with, probably. The rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. You should underline that. One thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus gave this young man an invitation. He says, what do I have to do? He was confronted with God. What do I have to do? And God said, well, you know, these things are what God asks you. And he goes, yeah, I've done that. And he says, well, you also need to do this. And he touched the one thing that he didn't want to let go. And you see, that's, that's the whole idea of God. 
there's, there's no negotiation here. I'm God. You don't get to keep some of your ways and some of my ways. I'm God. I have say in your life. Well, God, you can have this and you can have that, but you can't have this. And he turned away. God wanted to show mercy. God wanted to show love. He cared for this young man. But he turned away. And many people, when confronted with what God desires of us, turn away. Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seeds, and and some seed fell on the path, some fell among rocks and thorns, and some fell on good soil. And he said, those who hear the word of God, but the enemy comes and snatches it right away. They're like on the path. And, And those who fall upon the thorns, it's the cares and the things of this world, choke it up. They can't produce any fruit. It never gets deep. On the rocky places, it has no root and it scorches when the sun comes up, they die. But then there's those who falls on good soil and their lives produce fruit. Well, what's the difference? The heart that receives God and says, you are right, you're God. I will surrender to you. Their lives produce fruit. The rich young rulers, his life turned away because he didn't want to give up what he had. The third or the fourth one is Cain and the Pharisees. Turn to John 11, verse 43. Remember when Cain brought an offering before God, and it wasn't in the way that God had told him that you're supposed to worship. You're supposed to do things this way. Cain says, I'm going to make my own religion. I'm going to do things the way I want to. God didn't receive his offering And then Cain was upset. And then we see that God spoke to Cain. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that the only dialogue we ever see taking place is between God and Cain. We don't see a dialogue between God and Abel. We see God talking to the one who we know was disobedient, the one who killed his brother. And God warns him and says, if you do what's right, won't I receive you? But be careful because Sin is crouching at the door, waiting to consume you. And you must master it. In other words, you need to get hold of yourself, make the right decision. You see, but what did Cain do? He took offense to what God said, and he killed who God loved, Abel. We see a similar situation in John chapter 11, verse 43. We'll take it from there. Now, the picture is Lazarus has been in the tomb. I don't want to go into detail, but we get to the the crux of things. Jesus said, called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Okay, stop for a second. We just got to understand the meaning of this. Okay, this guy was dead. He was dead dead and he's alive everyone knew he was dead he was there for three days actually four days now he holds the record and now he's alive okay i i 
I don't think we're sensing what that would be like, okay? What would you do if someone you knew who was dead all of a sudden was alive? You'd freak out. I'd freak out. I just tell him like it is. Verse 45, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous, miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, God forbid, have him doing all kinds of miraculous signs like this, we got to put a stop to that right away. It just cracks me up. If we, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place, meaning our position, and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. In verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Jesus has just brought someone back to life. God has just done something. They are confronted with God. Right before this, Jesus says, I thank you, God, that you hear me always, that you will show who I am to these people. He did. He's God. He just raised someone from the dead. My gosh. And they get together. We got to do something about this. Yeah, everyone's believing in him. What's going to happen to us? See the position? What about us and the way we have things now? And so they plotted from that point on to kill him. Think about this. God shows up, does something miraculous, and someone decides we need to get rid of him. We need to kill him. Sometimes we respond to God and take offense. Because of what he implies, what he is to our lives, and we're like, no, I got to do away with this. And we're not only turning away, we're not hiding our faces, we're, we're actually offensive to God. We're offensive to those people he is using. We, we bring offense. And we find ourselves fighting against God. God. And so here we see Adonai Zedek fighting against God. He made a decision. We're not going to make an alliance like the Gibeonites did. We're going to make our own alliance and we're going to fight against him. We read God said, don't worry about it, Joshua. Don't be afraid they won't be able to withstand against you. You see, there, there, it doesn't seem to matter. We can know that God is real, that he is all-powerful, that he is right, that he is true, but we find ourselves against him when confronted with that. And the reason we are is because we don't want to let go. And let's be honest, there are some things we just don't want to let go. 
God says, if you want to follow me, let this go. And it's like, yes, Lord, I'll let it go. But inside you're saying, no, I'll save that for later. I'm going to put it in my back pocket. I, I won't get rid of that. I like that too much to let it go. And we find ourselves hiding from God. I'm going to go do this where no one can see me. Or we find ourselves turning away from God or we find ourselves being an offense to God because we've been confronted with the truth and we don't want to change. It's a tragedy that the one who loves us and knows what's best for us, who has a future for us and offers it to us, is met with opposition by us. He's God. We live for what, 70 years, maybe, at most. Well, I don't know about most. If you're, if you're 70, I don't mean to offend. <laughs> Sorry. Our lifespan is short. God is eternal. And we have to see things clearly and get the perspective. Now, just as there are those who oppose God, who resist God, who turn away from God, who hide from God, there are those who surrender to God. And that's what the Gibeonites did. And that's what Saul, who became Paul of Tarsus, did. Submitted to God. We saw last week, chapter 9, how the Gibeonites, through trickery, made an alliance with Israel. They said, we're your servants. We submit ourselves to you. And we have an example of that in Acts chapter 9. Or Romans 14, 11, it says, It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God. You're going to bow. Acts chapter 9, turn there. I remember Pastor Xavier used to say, you can bow now or you'll bow later. And it's a, it's a true statement. You're going to bow. You can either do it on your own or like the king, he was forced because he opposed God. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1, we see the conversion of Saul. Meanwhile, while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters of synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Here we see him opposing God. He is fighting against him. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, or asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. 
Paul was opposing God. He came, he confronted God, and God said, why are you persecuting me? God knocked him down and revealed himself. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And Paul had to make a decision. What do I do now? He got up and he went to Damascus. And we know the change that took place in his life because he wrote most of the New Testament. He was confronted with God. He ended up bowing his knee to God. And then he was used by God. You know, it's hard to fight against God. It's tiresome. You don't win. And so stop fighting. Paul was fighting, fighting, fighting. Finally, he came to the confrontation where God said, I'm Jesus. You cannot fight against me and win. And he surrendered. And you see, we will either hide, run, or oppose God, turn away from him, or we will surrender to him. Those are our choices. And I love what happens. The Gibeonites who surrendered, the ones who are being attacked, the ones who are are about to be conquered by these surrounding nations, what do they do? It says in Joshua 10, verse 6, the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua. Remember, Joshua means Jesus. They called out to Joshua. We call out to our Joshua. We call out to Jesus. When we are in that time of trouble, when we have submitted ourselves to God and we find ourselves in trouble, we cry out to Jesus. And guess what? They came. They helped him. Guess what? He will come and he will help you. He will be your strength. He will be your fortress. In Psalm 5, verses 11 and 12, it says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice. For surely, O Lord, You bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. There are benefits to surrendering to God. You can either fight against them or you can be on his side and let him fight for you. It's up to you. Now, it seems obvious, but why do we oppose him so often? because we don't want to let go of the reign of our lives. We want to be king. And until we surrender and bow our knee and say, you are God, I am your servant, and then you find out that he is a shield around you, that he protects you. Then he becomes your dad. And he takes care of you.
and he watches over you. It doesn't mean you don't go through hardships. We all know that. But he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. And he works all things out for the good. All things out for the good. He can take the hardest, the most hurtful situation and make it something that is beneficial in your life. That's what God can do. He can take the the loss of a loved one, the loss of family, and the loss of health, and he can work out something eternal and good in your life, give you a perspective that is better, even though you have the weakness than the loss. Who can do that? Only God can do that. And so I pray that all of us here this morning would bow our knee, would surrender the the crown of our lives and say, Lord, I'm not going to fight against you. I'm not going to turn away. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to be an offense to you. God, I'm going to bow my knee. I'm going to be like the Gibeonites. I'm going to surrender. I'm not going to be like these kings who were opposing you. I'm going to call on the name of Jesus and you will rescue me in my time of need. Why? Because you are our God. And he wants to be your God. He loves you. Let's pray. Lord, you know the circumstances in our hearts and all that is taking place within everyone here. Father, you know the struggles that we have, where we're at, Father, if we are hiding from you, if we are turning away, if our hearts are are hardened towards you, or maybe we're just in opposition to you. Father, even if we are an offense to you, you are willing to receive us just as you did Paul. As he bowed his knee, he changed his life. Lord, wherever we at, wherever we are at, we can change our life's course by surrendering our crown to you, the true God. Stop being our own king. Stop being our own Lord, our own righteousness. Stop making the world revolve around us, but say, Lord, you are God. You are in control. I surrender to you. I submit my will. I submit my desires. I submit the things, how I see what's right and what's wrong. I surrender these things to you. Be my God. Jesus, rescue me. Surround me. Protect me. Put your shield around me. I belong to you. And Father, it's that easy to make a change. It's to change how we think about you. We can change the direction of our lives forever. And I pray that that would take place with those who are here. That they would make that decision. That they would make that change. That they would surrender and bow their knee to you. Help us all to do so, Lord. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.